everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm going to start this message a little bit different than what I intended, and that's all right. Um, To our tech team, our media team, I'm going to actually start in Luke 4, verse 16. Jesus has come into Nazareth, and he was about to make a declaration and a statement that was a declaration of war and a declaration of victory all at the same time. I love characters in movies that have an incredible level of resolve and determination. I don't know about you but those are the dudes that I want to follow. One of my favorite movies, this is not an endorsement, and I'm not saying to go rent it, particularly if you're parents. If you're teenagers with parents, submit to your parents. All right, don't go telling them, Pastor John said, no, Pastor John said obey your parents. But there are some movies featuring one Denzel Washington. All right, Denzel Washington He's a bad man. And I love watching movies that he's in because he's a man of resolve. And you know, if he's upset, he's about to handle some things. There's a movie with Denzel Washington called Man on Fire. He was given charge to protect a little girl. This little girl was abducted. And there's a scene that I never forget. It's one of my favorite scenes of all time in a movie. And he's sitting across the bed, grieving with the mother of his daughter. And the mother says, what are you going to do? And with steel in his eyes, he looks at her and he says, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them all. And then he proceeds to do just that. In various and sundry and creative ways, he does just that. I just want to remind us, our God is an incredibly, intensely loving and passionate God. He is a good, good father. He is kind and he is loving and he is forgiving. He is merciful. He is also a protector. Y'all hear me this morning. I love my children, deeply love my children. I was just walking by Gray, and he had his daughter. And there is a love and there's a deep passion. But you also realize when you have a child and the Lord has done a work in your soul to care for them and protect them, you are also capable of destroying others (laughs) that would come against your children. And so it's also good to know that our God, he came to destroy the work of the enemy. 
Do you hear me this morning? And so I love, you can miss the power of what Jesus is saying here if you always just picture Jesus with a perm and a lamb around his neck. Right? You can miss that power. It's hard to seem serious when you just got a good perm, right? Unless you're like Dolomite or like a pimp or something like that, right? Jesus is an incredible father. He's an incredible protector. And he's a boss. So it says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. I got some extra anointing, some reverb. Hallelujah. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. Y'all, Jesus is a bad man. Woo. Okay, let me just understand. <laughs> you got to catch what he's, what he's doing. Isaiah, if you're not familiar with the scripture, Isaiah was a prophet. And his charge from God was to prophesy and declare the coming of a deliverer. Declare the coming of the Messiah who would destroy the works of the enemy. Who would claim the victory and bring restoration and wholeness to a world who had been ravaged and abused and ransacked. And so Jesus, not in arrogance, but in all boldness and confidence, walks into the synagogue among a people who had thoroughly been longing for and groaning for and moaning for the coming of the Messiah. And he says, give me the Isaiah scroll. Now, the moment he asked for that, you know some of the people had to be like, oh, wait, what? what are we doing? Are we just reading Isaiah? Is that what we're doing? We're just having a recitation? Scripture reading? First of all, thank giving honor to God, who's the Lord of my life, giving honor to the first lady, the deacons, and we're going to have a scripture reading this morning. No, 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 no. He reads in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That is what you call dropping the mic. <laughs> Jesus walked up in the synagogue, made this declaration and statement of freedom. He said, I have been anointed. I am the one. I want you. He wasn't even talking to the people in the synagogue. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand that Jesus was fully aware that the battle that we are in is not with flesh and blood? He was fully aware that it was not about the Roman oppression, that there was an oppressor that was far greater than anyone the Romans had known, that any oppressor, any Philistine that had ever been known, any opposition that Joshua had ever met, that there was a supernatural enemy who was all ears. An enemy who had tried to take Jesus out even before he was born. 
An enemy that couldn't stop Jesus from stepping onto the scene. And so when he stopped him, he tried to take him out as a young child. An enemy that was very aware of what was to come. And yet Jesus was not intimidated. He knew who he was. He knew what he had been sent to do. And he made this statement with resolve, with conviction. And you know what? Afterwards, he just sat down. The Lord wants you to know this morning that he came to set the captives free. That any level of bondage or slavery or captivity that you might find yourself in, be it captive simply and yet profoundly to the bonds of sin, to the brokenness that we as humans are all born into, be it the captivity of addictions of various kinds, be it the captivity, as we sang about earlier, of fear, that is not your design or your purpose. You are not made to be a slave. Look at somebody next to you and say, you are not made to be a slave. You're not made to be a slave. Look at the next person next to you and say, you are not made, born to be captive. You were not born to be captive. God created us to be a free people. Y'all with me this morning? Come on, let's talk. God designed us to be a free people, to walk in freedom, to walk in fellowship, to walk in perfect unity with him and with one another. Unfortunately, Due to sin and the fall of man, we see in Genesis 3 that not only did we betray God and reject God and disobey God, but as a result, we, we were immediately now marked, humanity marked until the work of Christ, marked with sin and bondage. You were born broken. I was born broken. And so when we talk about certain subjects and we talk about the issues of disappointment and pain and issues within the context of this series of the letdown, it can come with a certain level of complication. It can come with a certain level of difficulty and complexity because on many levels, our situation is quite difficult and complex. In a worst case scenario, we are humans born into sin and brokenness, raised by humans born into sin and brokenness, trying to navigate through a world fully populated with humans born into sin and brokenness. Are you tracking with me? On a best case scenario, we are humans born into sin 
and brokenness who have repented of our sin, right? Right? Who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? Yes, 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 yes. And, and, but here's the tricky part. Are in the process of restoration. Yeah, you can clap for that. I know some of you don't want to clap because you're like, yeah, I'm in process, all right. Uh, that's what we want to call it this morning. The reality is that we live in the tension and the process of restoration from the moment that we receive Christ until Christ returns when all things are glorified and we all process carbs perfectly. <laughs> we never get offended or triggered or trigger other people. Lots of triggers everywhere. Until his return, we are in process. What does that mean? We don't know how to do this perfectly. That means that living life is a contact sport. That means that the rest of our lives we will spend, and it's not to be an arduous thing, but it is a process of daily learning how to apply the good news of the gospel to the, to the acreage of our soul. Y'all tracking with me? Let me put it this way. There's a game that was popular on the iPhone app, maybe some other platforms, a few years back called The Clash of Clans. I don't know if you're familiar with The Clash of Clans. I don't know if any of you want to admit that you're familiar with it. That's okay. If you don't want people to know your geekdom, that's up to you. I'm okay. I have a level of geekiness. It's okay. I'm secure in Jesus, right? Free. I'm free. But one of the premises of the game is you have a fortress, you have a castle, and you kind of have two goals. One is to build a fortress, to build a wall, to fortify it, to protect your treasures, to protect your castle, and to, you build it up, you build that wall, you build it with various weapons because you want to keep other opposing clans out. You build borders, you build boundaries to protect that which is valuable. Everybody say boundaries. boundaries. Boundaries are to protect and defend. Boundaries are a good thing, right? The other aspect of this game is that you do not just have your own castle and fortress in which you build walls and boundaries and a barricade to protect, but it's called clash of clans because your other goal is to go and to infiltrate others, to go and break down the other's walls and defenses and to take their bounty and to take their treasures. And over time, what will happen throughout the course of the game is that when your gates or when your walls are knocked down, it makes you vulnerable to be attacked by other clans. When I think about this game and I think about some of the premise of it, it often reminds me of some of the tension and some of the brokenness that we walk in in humanity and even just specifically some of the things that I experience in my life. I can't speak for all of you and everyone's experience is different. So I'll just tell you some of my experiences. I, like any human and any child, was born as someone of value. You have value. 
You were born as a temple. You were born as a castle, so to speak. And, and as a child, there are certain boundaries that we verbalize and we communicate and we're intentional about communicating to children. And there's quite frankly some that we don't talk about because of just cultural norms, right? What are one, one of the major boundaries that you explain to children and that you explain to hopefully protect them and prevent them from intruders as you talk to them about the private areas, right? Well, we don't have to be silent, right? We've had this discussion. You know, there's your no-no spots, Right? I'm not trying to be, let's, let's talk here. I don't want everybody to freeze up. Like, right? We all have them. Right? And as a child, what? You, you, you want, you're, you're not trying to instill fear in them, but you want them to know there are certain things about you that are yours and belong to you, and it's not for everybody. There are certain things that you have of value that I want you, as my child, to be empowered to protect. Right? It's a good thing. Boundaries are to protect and defend. However, there are some boundaries that we've become so used to being removed because of cultural norms that we don't even know to help people understand. One boundary that I think particularly, this is even just an exhortation, if you have kids or you interact with kids, that I think we actually don't recognize enough is sometimes we can desensitize or, or rob children of their power, particularly in church settings or family settings, by forcing them to hug everybody. Or forcing them to open and, 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 and hug and show affection and kiss just because just on the basis of I want you to and I don't want you to embarrass me. Well, let's be honest, right? Y'all with me? Right? And, and it's like such a subtle thing where it's like give your, give your auntie a kiss. I don't want to give my auntie a kiss. Give, it, give her a Come on. Give her a hug. Do I have to spank you? What are we doing? We're ignoring their boundaries and their conscience. There might not something be wrong. There's something about being able to honor and respect a boundary. Y'all with me? We do it with time. So often we, we don't think about the boundary and the protection of time. And we get trained early on almost the sense of if I want people to approve of me, I need to do whatever they want me to do. And whatever you say, I want to say yes because I want to be approved. And the only way that you'll approve of me is if I don't have any boundaries and I'll just let you have whatever you want. And we train and instill and groom that into children. And then we wonder why people can't say no when they're 30. Or why they can't say no when they're 17. We start telling them to say no at 17, but we've trained them up to there to say yes. Y'all tracking with me? Right. So, as a child, I was familiar with some boundaries. I knew, okay, well, there's, there's certain things about me. I, I don't let people touch me here, and, and, and I don't, you know, do this. But I wasn't familiar with all the different boundaries. And quite frankly, at times, even though I knew about the devil, one of the things that I learned really early in life is the devil don't give a rap, crap about your boundaries. <laughs> the devil don't like you. Y'all hear me? 
Come on, you can say, you can respond. The devil is real. I just want to make sure if you're not aware of this, we have an adversary and he hates you and he hates your kids. And he hated you as a child. Before We always hear about God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. You know what? The Satan, was, Satan was aware of that too. And he hated you and had a plan for your destruction before you took your first breath outside of your mother. And at eight years old, the devil broke through my boundaries without me even seeing it coming. I experienced abuse by a neighbor. He was not a whole lot older than me, and so I think my, maybe my guard was down. He didn't look like the typical guy that were in the, the infomercials or the, you know, images of a molester. He didn't have a weird mustache. He didn't drive a white van. He didn't offer me candy. But before I knew it, not only had my boundaries been crossed, but what infiltrated my heart and my mind as a little eight-year-old was a wave of shame, a wave of condemnation, a wave of self-hate, a wave of sexual perversion that I didn't know what to do with. And not only did it come and break through, but then because I didn't know how to handle it at the time, and most eight-year-olds don't, there began almost a pattern in my life where I did not truly understand how to live with boundaries. Can I tell you, if you have lived with broken walls and exposed to attack and in bondage and captivity, even when people say you're free, you don't really understand what that means. The Israelites were in captivity to Egypt for so long that when they got free and delivered, when God sent Moses to bring them out of captivity, even though they had come out of the geographic place of slavery, there was still a slavery of the mind and the soul that would, for many of them, keep them from inheriting the promise. Y'all with me this morning? We as humans will find ourselves in not just difficult relationships, not just disappointing relationships, but often without even being aware, we will either intentionally or unintentionally allow ourselves to be in destructive and abusive interactions or and I know this hurts sometimes, be the agent of an abusive or destructive relationship. There's a counselor, an author by the name of Leslie Vernick. He frames these different delineations of relationships this way. She says, a difficult relationship is one in which there are many stressors pressing in on the relationship that make it challenging. 
right? This could be cross-cultural differences. This could include, include a clashing of personality types. This could include or involve awkward circumstances. You know, that there are certain difficult relationships that aren't necessarily as a result of sin, right? Y'all with me? You tracking with me? There's, like, there's just people that get on your nerves. It's not like they're like intentionally sinning against you and you didn't intentionally sin against them, but you're like a one on the Enneagram and they're a seven on the Enneagram and you're like, we can't vibe. <laughs> no. Right? The one is like, there is a way to do this. And the seven is like, there's like seven or eight or ten ways that we'll try this week. And then next week we'll try something else. And the four on the Enneagram is somewhere in the corner going, let's write a song about it. I want to cry. This is really, really emotional. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And the, there's a two somewhere saying, hey, what do we need to do, guys? I'll figure it out. Just tell me what I need to do. And there's a nine over in the corner saying, guys, can't we just get along? Right? It's not necessarily sin. It's just we have different personalities. There's difficult relationships. Some of you are, D- are Dwight Schrute. It's okay. It's okay. Some of you are. And we need all the people, pieces of the body, right? We're the body of Christ, right? We need people that are hearts. We need people that are brains. We need people that are elbows. Ah. God bless that elbow, right? But we just have difficult relationships. But then there's disappointing relationships as well. A disappointing relationship is one in which there's a letdown of expectations in a relationship. It's not what you thought it would be. There isn't always an obvious sin or an act of disrespect or indifference, but we can be disappointed as a, re- as a result of expectations, realistic or unrealistic expectations, neither of which are inherently sinful. We experience this all the time. Sometimes we have expectations on relationships that we should have in an ideal and perfect world. We don't live in one of those. As a child and as a teenager or even as an adult, I've learned that sometimes we put expectations on our parents that are good expectations in a perfect world. And forget that our parents were born in a sin nature and broken and raised by people who were born in a sin nature and broken and not all of them have gotten saved. And even the ones that got saved, some of them are at different spectrums of the process of restoration. There's a lot of people that you're going to see in heaven that didn't really grow that much on earth. I mean, I'm confident of it. And those of us who thought we, like, grew a lot, I think we're going to have a revelatory moment. <laughs> right? There's a lot of people that when we get to heaven, we're like, oh, you here? <laughs> All right. He is a good, good father. <laughs> Merciful. <laughs> and then some, we're going to run into somebody else and they're going to say, The Lord works in mysterious ways. Right? We put expectations on people. Happens in, happens in every relationship. Happens in marriages a lot. Some of it is because we have this unrealistic expectation of what we think. We make an idol out of marriages. 
You know, I love even just when we, when we talk about the topic of singleness, I think one of the things that can, can cause that trap is that we create an idol and a monument out of marriage. Can I tell you, marriage is an amazing thing. But marriage isn't about taking two people at a deficit and now making them whole. You can be whole in Jesus all by yourself. Right? God has not, he says, you come to me. He is the one that makes you whole. He's not saying, I'd love to make you whole, but first I got to get you hooked up. No, that's not how he works. That's not how he works. But we could create an idol out of marriage. We create an idol out of relationships, and we build this thing up in our minds that if I just get married, I'll never, ever struggle with lust again. If I can just get married, I'll have someone to have sex with every day, three times a day, and I'll never struggle with this. Uh, nope. Oh. If I could just get married, I'll have someone that makes my coffee in the morning and takes out my trash and pays all the bills and sings sweet poems to me. Or just I'll be happy with, you know, some, you know, Motown songs here and there. Or, you know, and then you, like, marry somebody and you're like, oh, wait, you're, you're, you're tone deaf? Like, wait, what? <laughs> you, don't like, you don't like coffee? <laughs> Let's call Pastor John and get you saved. <laughs> you, no, no, no. You, you, you bring expectations or even worse. What, usually what we do is we put weight, we put expectations that were meant for God to carry on each other. And it's not always, when it comes to expectations, it's not always because someone sinned against you. Y'all hear me? So there's difficult relationships and there's there can be disappointing relationships but then there can also be destructive and abusive relationships as dr leslie verdict Vernick would say, as she says, a destructive or abusive relationship is one in which the personhood of the other is regularly dismissed diminished, disrespected, and demeaned. Yes, thank you. That's the counselor in the, in the building. A destructive and abusive relationship is one in which the personhood of the other is regularly diminished, dismissed, disrespected, and demeaned. And I want to say this. It says boundaries, the key word today, are ignored and one attempts to impose or assume power over the other, either physically, emotionally, financially, mentally, spiritually, or all of the above. Boundaries are ignored, and one attempts to impose or assume power over the other, either physically, emotionally, financially, mentally, spiritually, or all of the above. Hurt people hurt people. We've heard that before. It can sound so cliche, and yet there is a stinging and a sobering reality to it. The statistics are glaring. I'm not going to go through a gross and terrifying list of statistics of abuse or the amount of people who, who are abused who then go on to abuse others in one shape or form. But what we do know is all have been 
marked and affected by the impact of sin. And really one of the biggest struggles that we face and deal with is an issue of power and authority. You see, the way a slaver works is to steal your power and to assume authority over you. Can I tell you that the devil did not have any authority or power that wasn't given to him? Yes, the devil, he didn't have any authority and power that wasn't given to him. Now, I, want you to hear, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. We're not blaming the victim here, right? But what I want you to understand is that we do not have to continue as victims and as powerless people to our circumstance, no matter how painful or difficult they may be. My destiny and my eternal calling and marking and identity, regardless of what was done to me, regardless of the intent, my destiny and my purpose and my identity is not defined by that. I am not powerless. However, that is the deception of the enemy. You are powerless. And you need power. What a deception. You are powerless and you need power. And the only way the enemy will convince you that you can ever have power is by taking it from somebody else. We've seen it in racism. We've seen it in sexism and abuse. We see it distorting our relationships on every level. We see it affecting the way that money is utilized, even, even in the way that benevolent funds are utilized. There's a people who have been marred by dishonesty, manipulation. The reality is that it's not just the enemy, but it is a people who have been marked by and been aligned by the enemy that actually benefit by the cap- from the captivity of, of others. There are so many layers of emancipation and deliverance that are yet to be had. Can I tell you, you know, even when we talk about, when we think about slavery and people talk about, well, man, slavery happened so many years ago. There has been slavery long, long, long before America. And slavery long, long before the things that we typically think about as slavery slavery and captivity. What I hope to communicate to you this morning, what my desire has been this morning, why I started the way I did, Because I want us to not frame the whole day about boundaries and brokenness and abuse. But I felt a charge from the Holy Spirit to remind you, one, for those whom have come into Jesus, you are free. You can get excited about that. 
You're free. You're free. If you have given your life to Jesus and you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, I want you to declare with some boldness, I am free. Y'all didn't hear me this morning. I said if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, if because of his body broken for you, you've been made whole, if because of his blood spilled for you, you've been redeemed, I want you to declare with your mouth, I am free. Go ahead and say it. Say, I am free. Say it again. I am free. Now give him praise because you're free this morning. Now, I got good news too if you haven't given your life yet. Is there's a deliverer. There's a great emancipator who has paid the full full price for your purchase. It cost him a lot, but he paid it joyfully. And there's freedom for you here today. But I also want to help us understand that just because you declare and you say, I am free, living it is hard. And it's a process of retraining your minds. And one of the ways that we begin to walk in freedom is by recognizing and reestablishing boundaries. Y'all hear me this morning. Oh, there's so many things I want to say, Jesus. So, in the time I have, and I got to tell you, I just want to be, I want to be completely transparent. This is a topic that I'm deeply passionate about because I really believe that this is kind of like why he showed up. He said, I came to set the captives free. And, and we don't necessarily always know how to walk in freedom. And so I want to help us, to help equip us on a couple different levels and also help direct us in some real practical ways. So one of the things, how can we be aware? How can we establish and walk in this freedom, not just for ourselves, but for others? Because what did I say during the connect time? The church is the family of God. So what does that mean? Is a family... In God's terms, is God places us in family for protection. In fact, particularly if you look at the Old Testament, when, when a, whether it be because of illness or whether it be because of, of the battle, if, if a man was slain in battle, his brother or his next of kin would take over the responsibility to care for that family. Why? It was a means of protection. To say, you are not alone. You are protected, Right? We see this display in West Side Story, the classic musical, where they say, if you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. From your first cigarette to your last dying day, when you're a jet, you stay a jet, right? It's the whole concept of gangs. What is it? Is it power in numbers, power in covering? I know it's like, it sounds crazy. There's a reason that people join gangs, y'all. It's just real. There's a reason that people join clubs. The reason people join Netflix, you know? We like to feel like we got something, not everybody. There's a reason that some people got movie pass, even though it went bankrupt. It's just we want to be a part of something. We want to be in something. But particularly with family, there's protection. So what is it? What is the dynamic of that is there's a responsibility not just to protect yourself, but to care for those around us. To not just establish your own boundaries, but to be aware of other people's boundaries as well. Y'all hear me this morning, church. 
So how can we be aware and protect each other? First thing, acknowledge your own brokenness. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Is It can be a fine line here because many times the enemy likes to make us fully aware of our weaknesses and throw things at us to shame us and condemn us all the time. Like that's, that's his station 24-7. That's the, the enemy podcast. The podcast of Satan is to constantly remind you of your brokenness, right? Like nobody has to exert much effort to be aware of their areas of brokenness, but because so often it's coming from a place of condemnation and a place of, of, of uh, worldly sorrow, the enemy's goal is to overwhelm us, to cause us to be hopeless, to make us feel like we are identified as broken to the point that we want to give up and don't want to go any further. He will overwhelm you. However, the Holy Spirit is a helper and a teacher, an instructor to help us identify the areas of our lives, the acreage of our souls in which the Holy Spirit and the gospel needs to excavate. You can go and buy a property. You know, it's, last night, yesterday, I, I, I officiated a wedding, and it was at the property of the bride. For those of you who know Milton and Nicole, they got married. It's a beautiful wedding. And it was out in Lafayette. And I don't know if you're familiar with Lafayette, but for some people, depending on the shade of melanin or the familiarity, when you start driving out of some of those places, you're like, Lord, guide me. I don't want to go down the wrong path. I don't want to, like, end up at an accidental other party, Right? And so we're going out there, and we go up on the property, and it's gorgeous property. It's beautiful, rolling hills, a beautifully, man, it's just beautiful pond with a waterfall. And I mean, y'all, it was gorgeous. And as I'm talking to her dad, she starts tell, he starts telling me about how he purchased, and when they purchased it, they purchased the property, and it was in complete disarray. The pond wasn't there. It was just a ravine. There was dead trees everywhere. It was just a hot mess. And he said that his uncle, who was a professional excavator, he was about to retire. He had a bulldozer. He had a land mover. And he, he said he was like an artist. He, he knew exactly what would thrive, what would die, what needed to be removed. And he, he carved into this land a beautiful pond that's now stocked with fish. And people come and they fish there and they built in, uh, they built in the slope just right so that when the water freezes over during the winter, the kids could come down on sleds and go on the frozen lake. It was beautiful. And what we need to be reminded of is, when our land has been purchased, when, when Jesus takes over your life, he purchases the whole of your life, but he purchased it with all the mess of it. You weren't pretty when he got you. You were a fixer-upper, right? And, but, but it can be overwhelming if we look at that because we immediately start thinking it's our job to fix it. And we got to figure it out. And that is overwhelming. You can't fix yourself. You can't do it. God is an amazing excavator. And the gospel is an amazing tool to so perfectly remove the dead things in our lives. But we have to allow him to do it. And it's usually a lot longer process than we want to go through. Because it requires us to go to places that we shut down 
avoided and, and just boarded up. I was abused by that neighbor when I was eight years old. I told a pastor about it for the first time when I was 30 after being in full-time ministry for nine years. I had boarded that place up. I didn't want to look at it. Can I tell you what I did? I took that acreage and I put tape around it. I put a gate around it. And I built the rest of my life in the rest of the acreage. And I built some beautiful things. I put in a park over here to build a family. I, I built a house on this property. I built a sanctuary over here. And there were times where the Holy Spirit would say, hey, John, can we go behind the fence? I said, no, 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 let's go to the chapel. Let's worship and, and let's go over here because that's what people want to see because that's what people like about me. I don't want to go there because that hurts. And yet that acreage wasn't going anywhere. And the thing about it was God didn't want me to go there just so that he had exposed it. He wanted me to go there because he said, hey, John, I died for that too. And I didn't want you for the pretty parts. I actually want to redeem every area because that's a part of your life. You, do you know that the most nasty, painful, difficult, ugly places that you don't want anybody to see and you don't want anybody to go to and you think, God, I know that you love me, but you don't want that. He says, that's exactly where I want to go. Because that's usually exactly the place that when you get victory there, it's going to unlock the keys to somebody else. When the Holy Spirit reveals and brings things to light, it's not to embarrass you, it's to set you free. And so we shouldn't be afraid to say, Holy Spirit, help me through your eyes and your tenderness and your love to see the areas of brokenness in my soul. What are the abused and broken pieces of me that you want to restore and redeem? Why do I respond this way every time my power is challenged? Why, when this topic comes up in church, do I clench my fist and grit my teeth? Why is it whenever I hear this phrase in your word and whenever I see this, that there's a thing in my head that says, don't even think about it? Why is it that when my wife talks about this, I shut down emotionally? Why is it that when my friends ask me about this, I immediately get defensive and send them away? Why is it that I can never say no? Why is it that I feel so much worth in just giving myself away to the extent that I'm afraid to say no even though I want to? And allowing the Holy Spirit to let us be aware of it. Many of us, We've been so trained to infringe upon and to cross other people's boundaries because it's been done to us so often, we don't even realize we're doing it. Do y'all hear me this morning? And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants us to get free so that we can recognize it. 
So one is acknowledging your own brokenness. Asking questions and not assuming. The beauty about being in family and having real relationships, that's one of the things I love about building covenant relationships, connecting in city groups. Is that our desire is that you get around people who can see different angles of you. So if you start sensing something, you can go to someone who you know loves Jesus and loves you. And hopefully they love Jesus more than they love you. If you know somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you, that means that they love you so much they'll tell you something you don't want to hear. Because they really love you because they love you like Jesus. And they'll help you. You say, man, is this an area that, have you seen this in me? And they'll, and they'll, they'll speak truth and love. But it doesn't stop there. Ask for help. Now, that might look like different things. For some of you, for all of us, we can ask for help within the community of faith. We can ask for prayer. We can get around people. You know, it's different areas. It might be maybe you don't have any boundaries when it comes to your finances. You have no idea how to set a budget and how to balance your bank account. And you have been lorded over by a curse of poverty because you have no control. You, you have abdicated your power when it comes to managing your resources. It would be great for you to connect to somebody who God has gifted and given wisdom to say, would you please help me make a budget? And can I sit with you and you help me figure out a plan to get out of debt and hold me accountable to that? Do you hear me, y'all? This is, this is practical teaching here. For some of you, and this is me included, I want you to know if, you don't, if like you're not aware of this, your pastor is a human that was born into sin nature and born broken that has been redeemed by Jesus and is in the process of redemption. And what I realized is, y'all, God graciously connected me with an incredible pastor, my pastor, my spiritual father, who I confess this, this abuse to. He walked me through some incredible deliverance and some inner healing, and we broke certain curses, and, 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 and there were things that God did in a beautiful moment spiritually. But there was a whole set of emotional things and programming that I actually needed the instruction and the help of an actual, like, professional, licensed therapist. Yes, Lord. Can I tell you, I will pray for you for healing. I will believe for you for physical healing. But I'm not doing surgery on you. Because you would die. I mean, sometimes we expect the pastor to be the one-stop shop for everything, or we get mad because we got prayed for, and can I just tell you, I don't play a doctor on TV. I am not, I don't pretend to be a doctor. I want to give counsel, but I am not a licensed therapist, and there are certain issues that you need, and I would say a Christian who's going to come with the word and an understanding of God from a biblical perspective, counselor and therapist. And you know what? It's okay. Like it's actually the provision of God that there are people who have studied and researched and have said, God, I believe that you want us to walk in holistic health, in spirit, soul, mind, and body. And I want to partner with you and study and research and this word and to help people come to a holistic place of freedom. And I also want to tell you, 
go there before you think you need them. I advise all premarital, all my premarital appointments, especially like there's been so much blessing that Kelly, Kelly and I are meeting with this doctor. His name is Dr. Zoda. He is, he is the Jedi master. He is amazing. And, and I just tell every couple that I'm meeting with, one of the most amazing things that you can invest in your marriage, particularly right out the gate, is like, go ahead, set aside some money, go meet with the marriage counselor. He said, well, we're not having any issues yet. Yes, you are. You just don't realize it. Because you think that your brokenness is normal. And y'all haven't been around each other long enough to realize, no, it's not. You're broken. We just try to self-diagnose each other. Now, it's not to get us like, I don't want you guys walking around just being like, oh, my gosh, I'm broken, I'm broken, I'm broken. No, no, no. You're free, right? If you're in Christ, you're free. But we're in the process of redemption. So acknowledge your own brokenness. Ask questions. Don't assume. Ask for help. And then like I was saying before, apply the gospel to the holistic acreage of your soul. You've got to remind yourself, why Why is worship so powerful? Why is that song, No Longer Slave, so powerful? Why is it so amazing to hear those words? Is because we've got to be reminded, we've got to declare, we've got to wire ourselves to remember we were captive. Like, that's real. Like, we were enslaved. Sometimes people don't praise Jesus because they think he just, like, helped them out a little bit, gave them a Starbucks card, paid for it, gave them a gas card to get through. They don't realize, oh, wait, uh, I was enslaved. I was captured. I was an indentured servant to death and the grave, and I needed a rescuer. And he came not because he benefited at all from me, but because he loved me and he paid my debt and he rescued me and he redeems me and he calls me his own. Like, that's a big difference. And when we sing these songs, we declare, we remind ourselves, I was lost, but I have been redeemed. And I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. You've got to apply the gospel to the broken areas. And again, sometimes we need help to do that. That's why we want to get around people of faith. We want to worship together and make these declarations together. That's how we can be aware. I want to encourage you, especially one of the things that I find is particularly as we try to build multi-ethnically. I'm going to say a couple more things. I'm going to wrap this up. I know it's, it's going over. My heart is so full with this topic. We are pretty much in saying we want to build multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and with multiple socioeconomic levels, we are asking for a, cr- a clash of cultural differences. I mean, a complete and utter, it's like, if you ever seen like the movie Crash, it's just like all these different personalities and cultures where it's like you got some people and it's like they just want to cry and dance and wave their hands and shout and pray in tongues and woo, is loud and active. Then you got some people like they're recovering Lutherans. No, I'm just playing. I love, love my Lutheran brothers and sisters. But it's like, you know, I was t- you know, it's like they, if, if they raise an eyebrow, that's breakthrough. That's breakthrough. <laughs> eyebrow went up. Eyebrows all over this room. Like, uh, like, that's praise. We are going into the holiest of holies, especially if they get half mass. Like, that is revival in the land. But it's not just expressions of worship. It's in ways that we relate. 
You know, some of you, if you came, like my family, I like to call our family, it's like the black Italians, like super passionate, super loud. We love hard. We hug tight and close. And it's like, it, it can be overwhelming. And if you come from a family that is not very affectionate and it's like, we don't hug, we shake hands to demonstrate affection and approval. Well done, son, well done, you know. Then you come in, you come into clash with Papa John and your world's going to be rocked, like, <laughs> right? Now, we, we could go one of two ways here, right? We could say, well, just get over it. Or we could go the other way and then just everybody just go back to their corners and let's do what the rest of, well, I don't say the rest, but what many churches do and you just go back to your ethnic corners and you just hang out with people like you. We're not going to do that. So that means I have to love you more than I love my preferences. And, and I'm, I'm saying that as a hugger. I've got to be self-aware to say, now my cultural norm is I want to hug you and I want to be affectionate. But because I love you with the love of Christ and I want to be respectful of your boundaries, I'm going to kind of evaluate how, you, how I should greet you. And that's love. That's love. I, I, I'm going to learn how to recognize your boundaries. One of the things I learned as a Middle Eastern studies student at Florida State, I got my degree in Middle Eastern studies, is particularly when you are engaging different people, men and women, you will engage them differently. And there are different physical cues that will let you know whether or not you should shake someone's hand or approach them physically or not. I learned that for some, particularly for some Muslim women and some uh, women in the Middle East, they're, it's not customary for them to physically touch another man. And it's seen as offensive and in intrusive to assume that. And so graciously, there will be a signal where they'll just put their hands on their chest and recognize them. And you could think, now, if depending on your culture, you think, oh, why are you being all uppity? Why are you being all standoffish? You think you're better than me? No, they're just acknowledging, I have boundaries. I'm just asking that you respect them. That's just a small example. Are you all tracking with me this morning? I want us not to just see it as somebody else's issue. We've got to be aware of it. It's important that we don't just assume that our normal should be normal for everybody else. Now, I'm just going to end with this, and I'm, I'm going to frame it, and there will be more, uh, more in the future to come with this because I think it's going to be a bigger thing than I can do in this moment. How should we respond if our boundaries have been destroyed, we've been abused, and we want to be free? So my answer to this one is going to be somewhat similar, but a little bit different. The first thing I would say is I want to bring your attention to Psalm 118. It's an interesting psalm. It's actually a psalm that is declaring the coming of a rescuer. But it has some interesting points that I think we should learn from. 
It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. This is a call and response psalm. Let the house of Aaron say, and then the house of Aaron would say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, and then those who would fear the Lord would say, his steadfast love endures forever. And then verse 5, it makes this declaration. I think it's powerful. It says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I think one of the first things, if you have been abused, if your boundaries have been destroyed, and you want to walk in that freedom again, one of the first things that we have to do is acknowledge the abuse. Sometimes, for lots of reasons, whether it's because, you know, many times the majority of people who have been abused were abused by someone that they knew. Sometimes it might be something is like a sexual abuse situation. Sometimes it's not, it's not necessarily on that degree. Sometimes it's just, just your boundaries are completely abused. Your friends can take advantage of you and abuse your boundaries. But many times we don't want to acknowledge it because we're afraid of how people will respond. Particularly if we agreed to the abuse. There are certain dynamics that in our dysfunction, whether we realize it or not, we form these symbiotic relationships with people where our abuse feeds off of each other. I have this ache and this brokenness, and, and it numbs it a little bit when you give me what you give me, and I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want, and we form these abusive relationships. And then we get a little bit down the road, and we realize, wait, this is kind of jacked up. Or we come into faith in Christ, and he begins to deliver us of certain areas, and we realize, wait a second, I'm getting something from Jesus that I used to get from you, and you gave it to me if I gave you this, but now he's satisfying you. I don't want to give you this anymore. And so we stop. But what happens when you take drugs away from an addict? They freak out. Wait, what are you talking about? What do you mean we're not going to do this anymore? Wait, what do you mean we're not going to sleep together anymore? Oh, you get saved now? And you want to move out? Oh, what do you mean we, we're, you're, you're withholding this from me? And so for fear of what man will do, or maybe people give us approval and praise, and we're afraid, well, if they know about this, they're not going to give me this we hide, and we don't want to acknowledge it. And I want you to know that one of the first and the best things that we can do to walk in freedom is to cry aloud to the Lord and acknowledge the brokenness. And even if it was not someone's intent to hurt you, that does not mean it didn't hurt. Y'all hear me this morning. There are people who mean you harm. It's like the difference between if somebody sees your car in a parking lot and they can't stand you, 
They're like, man, I see their car, and they back up, and they ram you, and they ride off. Or if a friend is leaving your house and accidentally backs into your car, they didn't mean it, but there was still damage done, and someone has to pay for it. Y'all tracking with me? Acknowledge the abuse. Recognize it. It's okay. Ask for help. Ask for help. Now, I know sometimes asking for help can be very intimidating. It's why we don't do it. But go to someone who is trusted, again, who loves you and loves Jesus. Go to a professional counselor and therapist and ask for help in navigating through that. There's wisdom that will come out of seeking help. Y'all with me? And then the last thing is, apply the gospel. Remind yourself, I am free. I am loved. And remember that freedom is a process. Now, in order to apply the gospel, you have to receive the gospel. You have to receive the good news that even in the midst of your brokenness, that God loved you so much that he came as a man in Jesus Christ. That he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. That he died the death that we should have died in our place. That he rose three days later, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Declaring freedom to the captive and offering forgiveness of sin and eternal life to those who had received and believe, and if you have been enslaved to sin and in bondage and you say, I don't want to walk in this anymore, the Redeemer is here for you. We can walk this out. Now, I promise I'm going to wrap up right now. I just can't tell you guys how badly and how deeply I want us as a people to walk in freedom and how deeply I also know that as much as you smile at me, and as much as loud as you sing or as not loud as you sing, depending on where you came from, I absolutely know that this is not a message for five people. And I know that the sooner you can receive it and embrace it and apply it is the sooner that God is going to give you the freedom that you have desperately wanted all your life. And I would even say all your Christian life. you to get it so bad. And I know he wants you to have it. Bow your heads. Lord, you know what I'm wrestling with right now. Lord, I just thank you right now just for our children, our city kids, people who are so faithful, and all of our team who is gracious. But Lord, I'm asking that you would do something that I know that I cannot do. And Lord, I'm asking that you would do something so supernatural and so powerful and I'm trusting you that in whatever time that we have that you're going to begin this process. First and foremost, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that those who are in here right now and they've been listening to this message and particularly maybe they have been sweating and nervous and it's not even them. It's really the spirits of oppression that have lorded over them for years and years and years that can tell that their days are numbered. Lord, I pray right now that you would come upon them with the quickness, Holy Spirit. 
and that you would draw them with freedom and deliverance right now. The Holy Spirit wants you to know that there is freedom for you today. That yes, there is a process of freedom that you will walk in beyond today. And it will be a marathon, but he will be with you every step of the way. But you can step into the race. You can step and walk into freedom. That the bonds of the enemy can be let loose off of you right here and right now. You say, I know that I have been walking in captivity I have not given my life to Jesus. I've thought about it. I've heard about it. Every, I, I actually maybe prayed a prayer, said something when I was growing up in church because grandma told me to. But really, in the depths of my heart, I know that I am, or at least I thought I was in control of my life. I don't want to be bound. I don't want to be enslaved anymore. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and rescuer. I want to walk in freedom. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are right now. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand where you are. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your courage. Father, right now, I just pray for the hands that went up. Lord, I pray that you would meet them exactly where they are. Lord, that you would bring your kindness and your love to the place that only you can, that you would do a supernatural work of restoration right now, that you would begin unattaching, Lord, every, um, every siphon, Lord, every cord and entanglement of sin and bondage. Lord, that you would pull out all of the wires, all the IVs of the enemy to to pump in shame and pump in condemnation and keep them enslaved. And Lord, right now, would you do a supernatural work right there and right now, Lord. Lord, I pray for those in this room, Lord, that maybe have given their lives to you, Lord, but know that there is acreage of their souls that have not been excavated with the gospel that there are broken areas, that there are walls to the fortress that have been breached and have not been rebuilt. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring and begin to bring restoration to their souls. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, even today, they would begin looking for opportunities to get freedom, to talk to somebody that's trusted, to reach out, to ask for prayer, to ask for help. Lord, that you would help them to have the confidence that says, what can man do to me? I call, I cry out to you, O God, and you hear me, and you are my deliverer. Lord, that they would not just declare that I am free, but they begin to walk in it. Lord, I'm reminded of Juneteenth, Lord, and even as freedom from slavery was realized, it wasn't recognized by some until they, were, until they heard it much later. Lord, I pray that that those that are under the sound of my voice, who you have come to set free, that they would hear it and they would receive it this morning. Let us be a people who are walking in freedom, in redemption, in wholeness, in victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter.
Twitter and Instagram.